pray. Uh, Lord, we do thank you tonight for this opportunity to open up your word, to look at, Lord, just to look at situations and circumstances that uh, people are going through. And God, as we look at them, it's the things that we go through, things we struggle with, whether it's areas of life, whether it's our spiritual life, whether it's relationships, financial, Lord, all of those things we can glean from your word, things we should do, ways that we can deal with those situations, and and Lord, the ways that we can face them head on. So I pray tonight, once again, as this guy called Malachi speaks to a group of people who have kind of messed up big time, and he gives them the word of God to deliver them from the situation they've gotten themselves into. So I pray for us tonight, we, would, we may not be in the same exact situation, the same circumstances, but I pray we would take your word, hide it in our hearts, and God, we would use your word as that, that sword to get us through those situations. So bless this time, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you remember, if you were here last week when we started uh, Malachi and how how he was speaking a lot to the priests, to the leadership, but how messed up Israel had gotten. And what kind of blows my mind, if you've been with us for a while, we've been looking at them coming out of captivity, and we looked at Ezra, we looked at some of the other prophets, now we're looking at at Malachi, then we're going to look at Nehemiah. And the fact that these people were in bondage and got delivered out of that bondage, and in just a short time... They have turned their backs on God. And some of it was they hit some tough circumstances, but I think, and this is opinion, I think Malachi was written towards the end or during the time of Nehemiah. And so things were pretty good, and yet they turned their backs on God. And they've forgotten that God is the one who brought them out. God is the one who delivered them. So tonight, he's gonna spend a lot of time talking mostly to quote priests to the leaders, to the priests of Israel and what they've done and the way they've messed up. So some of us might say, well, that doesn't have a lot to do with me. So maybe I'll go to sleep, wake me up when communion starts and I'll get back with it. But it does have to do with us. Let me read you this because I think this is important. In 1 Peter chapter two, Peter writes, you are a chosen generation, listen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation." Now, I read that, and I think Peter could have spoke that to that generation of what was going on in their lives. So maybe the same for us. Maybe some of us are, are in that place where we're kind of tired and we're worn out, and, and, and maybe we even feel like, maybe we feel like giving up. And that's what Israel had done. And what was bad is that's what the leadership had done. 
And so Malachi speaks to them directly, but I think he's also speaking to us. So, you know, we can, we can, uh, we can take this and we can apply it to our own situations. So in verse one of chapter two, he says, and now, O priests, and again, don't just slough this off, this is for us. This commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you did not take it to heart. So here's what's going on. Now, Malachi's addressing those people and talking to those people. And again, I think Ezra's kind of around, Nehemiah's around, and now God is using him, and he's saying, hey, if you're not gonna listen to me, Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be cursed. And we need to think about that in our own lives. What happens when we decide we know better than God and we begin to do things our way rather than God's way? What generally happens? We're cursed. Not in the sense of, you know, some, some weird thing, but Hey, we start struggling, we start striving, life gets difficult, we get angry, and then we yell at somebody, and then more anger, and more disruption, and more chaos, and guess what? All of that is because we chose not to listen to God. So here's what he's telling them, man. If you don't listen to me, it's not gonna be good for you. And so they have a decision to make, and, and he lays it out. Now, now listen, he's going to keep going on them. And he says, behold, in verse 3, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces and refuse on your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. Now he gets kind of gross. Now remember last time we talked about the fact that they were offering the lame and the blind. All of the offerings they were bringing to God were the leftovers, right? And, and I always like it. I love that part of Malachi because he, you know, especially at this time of year, try giving that to your governor right so try giving what you know the things that we give to God give that to your government usually doesn't work most of us the way we give to God if we're honest if we gave our taxes that way we'd go to jail but here's what he says man he says and so they were offering these funky animals right they were blame and they were blind and here's what God says if you read it in like the King James it gets more graphic here it says refuse the King James says dung I'm gonna put dung on your faces. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's about the grossest thing I can think to happen. Like dung on your face? That is just like, yuck, right? And then he says, and then I'm gonna just lead you away with that dung all over you. How do you like that? And what is God letting them know? What you're offering me is like dung. It's no better than that. And I think we need to realize that the Lord totally understands what we're doing. And when, when we try and cheat God, and I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking monetarily or, or financially, I'm talking about our lives. When, when we try and cheat God, guess what? He knows. We're not like getting away with something. Even if there's not immediate results, there can be stuff going on. So here's, but here's what he's telling these guys. If you don't get it together, I'm gonna take everything away. Now let's think about that for them in their situation. They haven't been back, they've been back maybe 100 years. 
from captivity by the time Malachi, by the time Nehemiah, maybe 150 years. But that's not a long time. And here's what God says, you're about to lose it again. Now something that I think is important to emphasize, when God punishes Israel, he takes them out of the land, but they don't quit being his people. And we need to know that there are times where God will bring things in our lives because we kind of earned it, but we never quit being his. He never stopped loving Israel. He never stopped caring about Israel. He knew exactly what they were. He knew exactly what they were going through and even brought them out. Now here's what he's saying. If you guys don't behave, I'm gonna remove you again. And especially I'm gonna remove Levi. Now, he's gonna go into this thing with Levi that I think is interesting as he, as he begins to bring this up and, and uh, lets us know about this. He says, listen, my covenant, verse five, my covenant with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before me. Now, now let's think for a moment about this whole thing with Levi and what was going on, and that God made a covenant. Remember, Levi is a priestly tribe. And even if you go back into Genesis, when, when Jacob blessed his sons, and what he said about Levi, he says, you're gonna be scattered among all of the tribes. How is Levi gonna get scattered among all the tribes? Because they're gonna be the priests. And the Levites are gonna minister to them, so they get scattered. But here he says, listen, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. For homework, check out Exodus chapter 32. Remember, remember that's a chapter where they got in trouble over the golden calf. Remember Aaron, Moses is up on a mountain talking to God, and Aaron makes this calf. Moses comes down and says, bro, what on earth were you thinking? And he goes, I, I don't know, man. I just took this gold, I threw it in the furnace, and this calf jumped out. <laughs> I always love that, man. I love that. I think, how stupid do you think Moses is? And how stupid do you think God is? And I love when Aaron does that, and then it gets a little bit more intense. And do you remember what Moses does? He says, whoever's for the Lord, come stand next to me. And who goes over there? The Levites. The Levites, and technically, in, in a sense, they go to war against their own people. And I believe it's 3,000 men died that day because of that. And God made that covenant, and then, and then later on, in Numbers chapter 25, once again, Israel's blowing it. Remember Balaam? Remember the talk, talking donkey? I love that, man. This guy has a conversation with his donkey, and he never like stops and thinks, my donkey's talking to me. Every time I read that, I think, wouldn't, wouldn't a normal person really? I mean, if you're, if you're like with a donkey or riding a donkey or even guiding a donkey and your donkey starts talking, would that not like kind of make you think things are a little bit strange right now? And, and he just talks like the donkey, like, oh, it's okay. But remember, Balak hires Balaam to curse the people of Israel and he says, I can't. And then he says, go ask God. And he keeps asking God, God, fine. He says, just do it. But remember, he didn't curse them, but what did he tell them? If you want to get them, here's what you do. You get your girls to marry their boys, and that's how you mess things up. And right after that starts that intermarriage, and God calls them out, and if you remember, one of the men takes his wife 
in front of everybody into the tent and does what men do with wives in their tent. And Phinehas, one of the priests, takes a spear and runs it through both of them. Not, not in front of our God. And God again made a covenant with Levi. That's what God is talking about here. So it's interesting that he brings that up because of what their sin is and the things that they're doing that God brings up. Remember my covenant with Levi. It was one of life and one of grace, not one of destruction. And so these guys are in destruction and, and, and they're doing that. And, and he says, hey, this is what we've done. And he says in verse six, the law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found in his lips and he walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from their iniquity. So both in, in Exodus chapter 23 and Numbers, both of them turned away and, and listen, it technically saved a nation, right? And he says, hey, that's what it's all about. And now the priests are doing the exact opposite. And the Lord is saying, in a sense, what is going on here? Don't you guys learn? Now, here's what blows my mind. They blew it in Exodus. They blew it again in Numbers. They blew it again and again and again and again. And here they're blowing it and doing the same thing that God had warned them against. And what's bad is the leaders are not talking about it. They're not teaching about it. Look at verse seven. For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge and the people should seek the law from their mouth for the messenger of the Lord, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have departed from the way and you have caused many to stumble at the law and you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what God is saying. I raised up Levi, I raised you guys up so that... You can be the mouthpiece for God so that you can share with the people so you can do those things. And all of a sudden, you got quiet. And I think, listen, I think that's kind of a, 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 a picture of what's going on in our generation. How many churches are getting really quiet over the sin because the culture has said the sin's okay? And the culture has accepted certain lifestyles and certain things in the church all of a sudden is going, well, we can't talk about that. Hey, we're called to stand. And I don't think it just has to come from the pulpit, although the pulpit should lead and the leader should lead, but it should come from all of us. But many of us, we're afraid to speak out, we're afraid to say anything because, hey, if you say anything in our generation, man, Anything can be twisted and all of a sudden you're, you're one of these horrible people. The Bible's very specific on homosexuality. Very specific. And yet we're afraid to talk about that. We're afraid to handle that. And the whole gender identity and all of those things that are going on, we're afraid. We say, hey, if we talk about it, we're gonna be bad people. No, I think we should hit it head on. Oh, I think we should do it in a way that's not that's not combative and angry, but we still need to talk about it. Sin is sin, whether it's in the first century, whether it's way back in Malachi's time, or whether it's in the 21st century. It's still sin. 
And when we begin to whitewash it, and that's exactly what these people were doing. Listen, they were taking offerings that weren't, uh, weren't real offerings because they had so watered down everything that the people thought, I can bring anything to God and it doesn't matter. And we need to say, are we doing the same thing? Are we living in such a way and communicating and interacting with our culture in such a way that our culture thinks everything's acceptable in, in, in this thing called the church? And how many times do people say, well, if Jesus is love, he wouldn't judge that. Yes, he would, because he did. And so he calls them out, and you and I have an obligation. And I would, I would say, yeah, I have a greater obligation than you do. I can't be somebody, and I won't be somebody that's just going to, like, silence and be silenced about that and not talk about that and not address that and kind of hide that. Why? Because God has shown us the way. So he says, what are you guys doing? Malachi says to the priest, what are you doing? Why are you watering that down? Why are you breaking the covenant that I made with Levi. And if you continue in that way, you're gonna be in some serious trouble. So now, listen, now he gets to, in, in, uh, in verse nine, he says, therefore I also have made you contemptible and base before all the peoples. And he says, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Do you think the church has lost its credibility in the world? I do. Why? Because we've watered all that down. We've not taken a stand. And God says, fine. You're a kingdom of priests. Isn't that what we just read Peter told us? So not just me, all of us. We're, 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 we're all in this together. And I love, some translations say we're a peculiar people. I totally agree with that. We're a weird bunch. But hey, he says, you water it down and you lose all your credibility with the world. Either truth is truth, or it's not. And so we have to do that. Listen, we're called, and, and their dilemma was not much different than ours. Oh, it maybe is a little bit, little bit different, but look at verse 10. It says, have we not all one father? Now I like that, here's what he's saying. Don't we all have one father? Well, yeah. Now, there's a discussion on whether he's talking about Abraham or God, but I think he's talking about God. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Yes. Then why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Here's what he's saying. Why are we treating each other so poorly, and why are we treating each other as though we're not together? And then comes the big one. Judah, verse 11, has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah, listen carefully, has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. Now don't read on for a minute. What do you think he's talking about? Here's what, I, here's what blows my mind. What did he say? That they profaned what? The holy institution that God loves. A lot of you are reading on. I told you not to. Think about that for a moment, what he just said to them. He's saying, you guys have profaned something that's dear to God. And it's a unique institution. Holy, holiness just means unique or separate. And whose institution is it? God's, not the state's. 
not the government's. It's God's institution. And he says, you, Judah, now he's calling out Judah specifically, you have profaned that, and what did they profane? What is this holy institution? Look at the end of the verse. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. Here's what he says. He says, man, my holy institution which you profaned is this one thing called marriage. And saints, we're in the middle, I still believe we're in the middle of a battle for marriage. And it disturbs me. I, now I'm gonna say something that might upset some of you, but you just have to love me anyway. I don't have a problem with the state recognizing same-sex relationships. That's the state's business. That's up to the state. I do have a problem when the state tells me that's marriage. That is not marriage. God has defined what marriage is, and that's God's institution. So if you want to have this civil union or civil thing that the state recognizes, that's between you and the state. Now, I don't like the government doing it necessarily, but hey, I live in a country that's ruled by a you know, democracy and et cetera, sort of, and uh, thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> but that's their business, but they have no business telling me what marriage is. And I wish the church would just stand up and say no, we are not doing that. No, you cannot tell us what marriage is. This is God's institution. God defined marriage all the way back in Genesis. He did it in the very beginning. Listen, it's not something that he came up with along the way and tried to figure out. He did it in the very beginning when he created Adam and then he brought Eve. Well, before he brought Eve, he brought all the animals. Adam, you see anything you like there? Why don't you name all the animals? Let's see. I love, I love that whole scene in my mind. I'm just thinking, man, can you imagine how many days it took for the animals to go by? And he's going, elephant, platypus, donkey. You know, all those things. And, and he's just like doing that stuff. And, but he never said woman until he brought Eve. And we need to understand that. And here's what, here's what these people, and we read about it in Ezra, we're gonna read about it in Nehemiah and we're reading about it in Malachi. Don't you think it was a major problem when there's three different books about the same time period and they all bring up the same thing? They had married foreign wives. Now, I wanna, once again, I know we talked about it in, in, in uh, Ezra when we did it. It's not just that God is trying to keep the Jewish line pure and he doesn't want, you know, he's a racist and doesn't want other ethnicities in there. It's not just that. God has a purpose for Israel, and especially for their generation. What was the whole purpose of Israel during that time? Number one, the first purpose was to glorify God. The second person was to bring the Messiah. And if you do not keep that pure and going, the Messiah is not gonna be able to come. Don't you think the devil knows that? Don't you think he's gonna do everything he can to mess it up? All the way from when they very first came out of Egypt, he got, he got Balaam and he got Balak that we talked about involved trying to mess that up and, and get it messed up. And here's what I believe. Listen, I believe it's the same for us. Saints as Christians. We should not be looking at people outside of the Christian faith to have relationships with. 
that you shouldn't be done. If you're single, don't be looking to the world to find your mate. I always like to say it this way. I think it becomes real simple. Either you're a child of God or a child of the devil. One or the other. And if you're dating the child of the devil and you marry him, I don't think you're gonna like your father-in-law. Just saying. They're gonna have some major issues. I think that's the easiest way to look at it, but there's so many more complications. And God doesn't do that just because he's trying to mess us up. He loves us, he cares for us. He cared for Israel and he says, do not mess this up. And here they're doing it, man, they get there and why, what are you thinking? Ezra pulled out his own hair like he's like, what are you thinking? We're gonna read Nehemiah pulls out their hair. I kinda like that better. And Malachi just says, what are you guys doing? You have messed up this holy institution that God loves. Why are you doing that? And here's what blows my mind. It's almost like they were doing it blatantly. It's sort of like this. I don't care what God says. I'm doing this anyway. Church, we maybe don't say those words But sometimes our actions are saying that. I don't care what you say, God. I'm gonna do my own thing. And so he calls them out and he says, you're ruining, listen, you're ruining and you're going against God. In verse 12, he says, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So here's what he's saying. He's totally aware of what he's doing, but here's what he does. When it comes to Shabbat, when Sabbath comes, oh, here's my offering, God. I know it's a little blind and a little bit, I know it's only got three legs, but it's okay. You know, it doesn't need many legs to die on the altar, right? So I'm gonna bring this to you. And here's what he's doing. He's blatantly sinning against God, and then he cheapens the altar of God, which is to worship God and bring his best, and he's doing that. And now, listen, now they have a mess. And God had said, I'm gonna put dung on your face because that's what you're doing. Now, man, I pray really hard. None of us get dung on our face. So that would be really, really embarrassing, wouldn't it? And God says, listen, you can't do that. And he gets more intense because not only, check this out, not only were they just marrying foreign women, listen, it gets gets worser. Verse 16, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Now, Here's what's going on, is the men of Judah were divorcing their Jewish wives so they could marry foreign women. That's how they were defiling this institution that God had made. And they were blatantly do that. Now we're gonna get more into that in a minute, but they're doing that. And when he says you cover the Lord's altar with tears, I don't think it was the men coming and weeping. I think it was their wives are weeping before God because they've been put away, they've been divorced, and they're weeping before God, and then these men just come along and they do an offering, they don't care. And he says, why would I accept that? 
Why would I do that? My altar's covered with tears because of what you've done to this woman. And then you just come and you think it just doesn't matter anymore. You're just going to do this offering. Now, here's what I know. As I'm reading Malachi, here's what I start thinking. I start thinking, oh, no. For my own life? I think of the things I do. I know you guys don't sin. I think of the things I do and I think, wow, he's watching me. And I come before him. And if I don't come with a repentant heart, it's not doing any good. When I come and pretend everything's okay and everything's all right, that's like offering a three-legged goat. Here you go, God. And these guys, man, listen. God says, you're doing this yet. Verse 14, you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness. So, so remember, remember through Malachi, how Malachi's always having a dialogue, right? Remember his is a dialogue? He states something, and when he's gonna state something else, he gives them the question that they're asking him, although they may not be doing it. So here's what he's saying. He's saying in, at the end there, he says, God's not gonna receive uh, it with goodwill from your hands, and yet you say, for what reason? Why doesn't the Lord do this? And here's the answer, because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have dealt, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Here's what he's saying. Why is the Lord doing that? Because you have divorced your wife. Wow. God says, I, I saw that. You didn't think I saw that, but I saw that. And you divorced your wife. She's a, the wife of your youth. Would to God that as Christians, we would remove divorce from our vocabulary as couples. It just wouldn't even be there. And we're gonna talk more about that in a moment, but would to God we would just start there as believers in our relationships, in our current relationships right now, that that would never, that would never even come, that wouldn't even pop in our mind. It's not even there. Divorce is not an option. I always love, I heard that people, when they would, they would uh, interview Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, they would ask her, have you ever thought of divorce? She goes, never. Murder a couple times. <laughs> divorce, never. Because she was dedicated, it was out of her vocabulary. Now, listen, I'm not advocating. Don't forget the Visine ladies. So, I'm not advocating any of that, but... And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should come to Bible study more often. <laughs> so listen here. He says, man, you have divorced and look at you've treated the wife of your youth and you've dealt with her treacherously. So they're leaving their wives so they can get these foreign women. That's gross. And yet the priests aren't speaking up. The priests are taking these lame and blind and crazy offerings because nobody wants to address it because maybe if we say something, if we say something, then something might break loose. They might fire us. They might get rid of us. And so let's just, let's just pretend it's not happening. And let's just kind of go along and maybe somehow there'll be some magic formula that fixes all this. 
Saints, if we don't take a stand for what's right, who is going to? It's us. We're it. God has placed us here. He's telling them, if you guys don't take a stand, and what's the use of having the tribe of, of, of Israel, I was going to say, of Levi? What's the use of having Levi? You're not going to do it, then I'm going to break the covenant. You know what? And you're just going to do your own thing because you're not, you're not doing what I know is best for you. So they're dealing treacherously with the women. The priests aren't speaking about it. And then he says, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15 gets a little bit, gets a little bit difficult. But did he not make them one? So I'm, I'm going to go with this. I think he's still talking about divorce. Other people take this a whole different direction, and, and I don't want to get into all that tonight. You can, you can Google it, because people go crazy with this verse. This is a difficult verse, but he says, listen, he said, let's keep it in context. She is your companion and your wife by covenant, but, and then he says, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Here's what I believe Malachi is saying. You can only have godly offspring when you honor God's covenant. Divorce and polygamy is going to ruin your children. Read your Bible. Man, when they had multiple wives, their homes were a wreck. Their kids were a wreck. They're a mess. And then some of us, maybe most of us, know what happens when divorce happens in a family and maybe we're raised in a family with divorce, maybe we've gone through it and we know that it messes kids up. And God says, man, listen, I made you one. I brought you together and you were one. And I gave you the spirit and yet you separated that. And I did it for godly offspring. And then, and then he goes on, therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Pay attention. Hey, even if it's difficult, fight for your marriage. Don't give up. And I think that's so powerful for today. Whenever I counsel some people who are having difficulties in marriage, the first question I ask him is, are you willing to fight for this? Because if you're not gonna fight for it, then there's no use. If it's not the most important thing and a priority of your life, then I'm not gonna waste my time, I'm not gonna waste your time. Fight for that. Stand strong for this reason. Number one, we found out it's God's institution. Now here comes the difficult verse, verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Wow. That's one to underline. Now, I'm gonna emphasize a few things. Number one, first and foremost, listen carefully. It doesn't say God hates divorcees or divorced people. Because I think that's important. Because sometimes the church Man, they put a red letter on people who have been divorced. That's gross. But here's what it does. God does hate divorce. Why? Anybody who's gone through the divorce, through a divorce, will say yes. Why? Because it's painful. It's tragic. It rips. It tears. It destroys. And those people have gone through it. You know what I'm talking about. I haven't gone through it. 
But you know, it's, why does God hate it? He doesn't hate it just because, oh, I don't like this thing and it's going against my institution. He hates it because he knows what it does to people. He knows the destruction and the harm that comes just to the two individuals, not to mention all of the influence they have, when, especially if they have children. It's horrible. So God, let's be clear, God does not hate divorced people. He hates divorce. Because the churches mess this up, I think, for a while. There's, there's churches I know, man, if you're divorced, you can't do anything in the church. And I'm thinking, what? The Bible doesn't say that. And the Bible does talk about, about divorce, and, and you can look it up. We've done, we've done uh, different studies on it. He talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is the first place he mentions it. And he says he did it for the hardness of their hearts. Remember, the Pharisees came and questioned Jesus about that. And then that goes on, and then, and then other places, Matthew chapter 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Jesus even said, hey, there are some reasons for divorce. Marital unfaithfulness would be a reason. Abandonment would be a reason. And then I always add in, hey, man, if you're a woman or a man, and you're being abused, you need to get out of that situation. You need to remove yourself from that situation. And any pastor that would tell you you don't need to needs to get hit with baseball bats. Many times. So, but we need to understand God still hates it. Even if it's, listen, even if it's marital unfaithfulness, that's causing a ripping and a tearing and the marital unfaithfulness is part of that sin that happens that rips and tears. So here's what Malachi's saying. You guys are destroying this institution that God made because you're cheapening it and you're taking it away. And hey, the church in the 21st century, I don't think is any different. And man, let's be a people that we're gonna stand up and we're gonna say, no, that's wrong. Man, when I counsel people, I'll tell them, I'll fight with you. I'll be, I'll be your partner, man. I'll be in your corner. I'll help you. But let's fight this thing and let's get through this thing because it's only gonna hurt. And these guys, I think these guys are horrible because of what they're doing. So he says, listen, God hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. What is he talking about? In Ruth chapter three, remember in Ruth chapter three, that beautiful scene, kind of kind of changing the subject here so it get a little bit beautiful because that's a tough subject to talk about. Remember in Ruth chapter three when Ruth goes to Boaz and he covers her with his garment? That was a sign, most of us understand, that was a sign of the time where that was like an engagement ring. Hey, you didn't have to go buy you know, a $10,000 ring, you just like threw part of your garment on her. Most guys would like that today. Here, honey. Well, we kind of did that. Did they still do that in school? And when I was in high school, guys would give girls their sweater or something. Yeah, that's covering her with a garment. Kind of the same thing. But he says, hey, here's what he's saying. That garment you covered her with is defiled. Because you're defiling it. She's not defiling it, but you are. And now it's covering her with violence. Why? Because divorce is violent. It's horrible. And he says, that's what you're doing and, and speaking to that nation. And, and he says, therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Once again, are you getting the idea that God is fighting for these marriages? He's fighting for them. Come on, guys. How many times has he brought up, you're dealing treacherously, stop dealing treacherously, don't deal treacherously. That whole thing treacherous is in there that we need to pay attention to. 
And then it gets a little bit deeper because here's what I find. Once you cross into sin and you begin to justify your sin and you begin to say your sin's okay or we even rename it. I love it when people try and rename it. Well, it's really not sin. It's a mistake. No, that's sin. It's called sin, sin. And then, and then, so they've renamed it. They put it all okay. They're offering these funky animals to God. They got, they got poo all over their face and things are going bad. And it's just an ugly scene, right? It's just not doing good. Are you kind of getting a picture? It's funky, man. Now listen, listen. And then, and then he says, I love this. In verse 17, he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Here's what he's saying, man. You're wearing out God. Now, something we know is God doesn't get wore out right? He's using hyperbole, and he's using an anthropomorphism. That's a big word, right? Anthropomorphism just means he's giving God humanistic characteristics so we can understand. So God's not really in heaven going, oh my gosh, I am so sick and tired of hearing that, and I am so, so tired. I just need to take a nap. <laughs> so don't get that idea. But it's kind of that, you know. And he says, you guys are wearying God. Here's what they're doing. They're coming before the Lord and they're going, why don't you hear me? Why aren't you doing these things? And so he says, you've wearied the Lord with your words and yet you say, in what way have we wearied? There's that conversation again, right? I totally relate to this because when I talk to myself, I have that same kind of conversation. But you say, in what way have we wearied him? in that you say, listen what they say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Here's what they're saying. Oh, it's okay, God understands. Have you ever told anybody that? No, God does not understand. It's still sin. And we need to quit telling people, it's okay, he understands. He went through the same stuff. Yeah, well, Jesus walked through this stuff and never sinned. And when you and I tell people they're okay in their sin, not good. Don't do that. Here's what you need to tell them. That's sin. If you confess it to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then it's going to be okay. But don't tell them, oh, it's okay. And here's what they're saying. Good is okay because why? And he says, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And, and he delights in them. Seriously? God delights in people sinning? Now, I know he delights in sinners because we're sinners, saved by grace. Some people get mad when I say that. They go, no, we're saints. Yeah, we are saints, but we're sinners. We're sinner saints. But here's what he's saying. God does not delight in people perverting his institution of marriage. He doesn't delight in that. And yet you're saying it's good. And then they say, okay then, where is this God of justice? Because things are going well in our life and things are okay. And do you ever hear people say that? If God is a good God, then why is this happening? Or if God is really a God of justice, why this? They're being that group that Malachi's talking to. Now here's the cool thing. He answers that in chapter three. We're not going to go into chapter three tonight because I don't want you guys to like, have to stay up late. But I do want us to think about what we've read. And again, I want to emphasize divorced people are not 
people who are untouchable and people who God has given up on. Divorce is sin, like every sin we commit, and we have to deal with it biblically. But you know, divorced people don't have some red scarlet letter on them that they, they can't be part and used in the body of Christ. I don't believe that for a minute because if that were the case, then he couldn't use any of us who have sinned. And he does. But he does hate divorce because it's so, so destructive. And would to God that the church would get back into it. I, I don't know how many of you know. You ever do a study? The divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. How can that be? Where have we messed up? It's us. It's, it's our responsibility. Why have we messed this thing up so much, this institution that God loves, that we've demeaned it so much that as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't care? We should. And by that I mean, hey, if you know a couple that's having trouble, man, you jump in there and you fight with them. You help them. You work with them. And let's turn this whole thing around. Let's don't be those that Malachi's talking to. Let's be those that, that the Lord is saying, those are my people. That's my royal priesthood. They're going forward. And let's take a stand. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do uh, thank you, Lord, for the challenge. Thank you that you allowed Malachi, allowed Nehemiah, allowed Ezra to see what was going on and to address it. And thank you that we still have people in this thing called the body of Christ, this, the thing called the church, that aren't afraid to address issues. And even issues our culture says we should accept and we shouldn't deal with that. Lord, we know, we know that we should. So I pray tonight as we get ready to celebrate at your table and come before you that we would do some soul searching, that we would look at our lives and God, that we would be a people who are real and honest before our God. And we would allow you to have your way with us and have your way in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.